does that say? Well, it's over 20 years ago, Diane and I got married, we finished school, graduated, got married, moved to Colorado. So we started our life, our married life in Colorado, and we love this state, we love the mountains, we love the people. And after over 20 years, uh, God started moving in our hearts to move to Wisconsin. And I fought it for a long time, I think two years I fought that. And uh, did not want to move to Wisconsin, never lived there before, like Colorado just fine. But sometimes God just kind of shows you that. So that was a big, big change for us. We're packing all our stuff up and moving up to northeast Wisconsin. And it's different up there. When, you, when you're trying to find something, you don't just look up and see the mountains. You know that's west. Uh, pretty easy. Uh, roads here run north, south, east, and west. So you get up there, all the roads are the same. They're straight and they got trees. And that's all you see are trees. Now behind those trees once in a while you'll have a lake or something like that. And it's, it's beautiful. We, we loved our time in Wisconsin. We were very glad to be back in Colorado now. But I, I still remember when we're getting adjusted, we're building a house up there and renting one and, uh, while we're waiting for it to be built. And so they were telling Diane now, when you go shopping, you have to go over into Michigan. Well, it's up into the UP. If you're familiar with that part of the country, you gotta go up to Iron Mountain, Michigan. And this is before you had the, you know, GPS and everything else. You just tell people where to go. And so Diane had to figure out, oh, just go down here, turn here and go there. And so she said when she was going up to the store, she got out there and she's driving down these roads of trees, trees, trees turn us, trees, trees. And she's going and going. She said, I think this is right. I think this is right. And finally, she looks over to the right and says, that's our house. <laughs> she'd been driving a half hour thinking she's getting close, getting close, getting close. There's our house again. So uh, as Yogi Berra would say, deja vu all over again. Uh, this is where we find Jonah. In chapter 3, it's going to start out just like chapter 1. You think, I thought we just went through this. And God is coming back to him a second time. So the title of this message is The God of Second Chances. And we're going to see how God is working in, in to me, a myriad of ways. And in all different people's lives, the people in Nineveh, the sailors, the work in the life of Jonah. But, but at the heart of this book is what we're learning about God. That's what the message is about how he acts and works in our lives with a relentless pursuit of justice and mercy. He is a merciful God. And you're going you're gonna to see that in profound ways here. So we've been here before Jonah, and it's like we're reading the very same lines. And I think that you can probably look back and see that there have been Things in your life where you're, you're back right where you started. <laughs> and you think, oh, here we go again. It's like Groundhog Day. That's our, one of our favorite family movies, Groundhog Day. You know, Bill Murray's waking up every morning, and it's the same day <laughs> we're going to be on repeat. But we'll walk through these 10 verses, just 10 verses in chapter 3, in, in four stages. First, repeating the repeating of the word. So the Lord's going to say what he said before the returning of the prophet, the repenting of the people, and then finally the relenting of God. So God's going to repeat his word in Jonah 
3 and verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So you put that in parentheses. Saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Exact same command as that he gave in chapter 1. But the first time this happened, Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. He went down to Joppa, caught a ship, and was heading to the farthest point on known earth in Tarshish. And we see something about God. What, what he, he knows is happening in Jonah is not good for Jonah. It's not good for anyone. And so this is when the pursuit of God comes. He, his justice does not allow him to continue in disobedience. And his mercy provides the great fish to swallow him up and um, spit him out. It says vomit him out on dry land. And... Um, he says again for the second time, and it's almost like if now if I were to do it, I'd probably say something sarcastic like, "Well, how did that work for you?" Um, but God, God doesn't treat him that way. So the word of the Lord. What is the word of the Lord? Well, I think in this case, it is most likely an audible voice. Uh, it's not something that I have heard God speak in audible voice, but today God has given us His word. And he gives us everything, he says, in it to be able to live our lives, either in precept, which is command, or principle, which are just applied, the applied truth. God gives to us everything that we need. And specifically, working in Jonah's life, he's calling him to do something that is, that is needed and is time-sensitive. So as God speaks to you today, how does he do that? Um, I think that we could, we could digress to a lot of points, which I think I'll do in another message rather than do an offshoot of this. But how do you know the will of God for your life? How do you know what you're to do, what job to take, where to live, what house to build, who to marry? God does direct us in our lives. And he does that through good counsel. He does that through our desires. Uh, he does that through circumstances like an open door or closed door. But everything that God uses to direct you in his will is subordinate to his word. His word is truth. And we need to realize that. All of those can contribute that, but God's will for your life will never conflict with his word. It will never conflict with his word. You need to remember that. So the second time. Because the first time did not work. But I notice here, it's really a story of high drama. You know, you think about this, uh, he gets on the ship, there's this violent crashing waves, and he's talking to them, they're throwing him overboard. You can imagine being thrown overboard into the sea, and then swallowed up by a great fish and staying there, I mean, and then puked up onto the dry land. I mean, you can imagine what he looked like and how he smelled. And you, you sense this is intense, high drama, very exciting, but with God, it's like a calmness. There's no high drama with God. And so, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. <laughs> it's like God, God is not all worked up over this, but he is, he is steadfast and not letting Jonah go off his own way because Jonah's own way is destructive not only to him, but everybody else. And so I think that when, when you see this about God, justice and mercy, there are always going to be things we don't like about that. 
If I say God is just and he's merciful, I like it that he's merciful with me and just with you. I mean, that's, so, that's naturally the way I work. So when you do something wrong, you need to get what you deserve. When I do something wrong, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I promise I'll never do that again. And we're going to see this conflict going on not only in this story as a whole, but also in the life of Jonah. And so I, I just love the fact that God is patiently, with, with not a lot of high drama, working these things and with what we call a relentless pursuit. Uh, God will not let you go. So if you get off the rails, you run out of town, you're off on your own way, God is not going to let you keep going. And I think in many ways we think, I don't want God always chasing me around and coming after me. It, it's out of his love and mercy. Psalm 23, very familiar to most people, is when he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So it's like this relentless pursuit of you. Out of God's justice, you're going to do the right thing, and I'm going to be merciful to you. And it's out of his goodness that we find him now on dry ground, hearing from a patient, persistent God, okay, Jonah, I'm going to tell you this for the second time. You know, there is a great parallel story to this. I've never seen before until this last time reading through the book of Jonah, but the story of Peter, if, if, I don't know if you've ever read through in, in Matthew 16 where it says Simon, who is Peter, is also called Cephas, so, um, but, but this is speaking of Peter, Simon bar Jonah. Simon bar Jonah. This is how Jesus addresses Peter. And I thought, well, son of, bar means son, son of Jonah. So I'm just thinking, well, it means son of John. That must have been his dad's name, and that's all that it meant. But in, in going a little deeper on that, I realized this, that he is referring to the prophet Jonah. So Simon, son of Jonah. Now, just as Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord and going his own way, refusing to obey God, do you remember Peter? when he denied the Lord three times. And the Lord even predicted that. He said, you're gonna, before the, the, the rooster crows, um, you're, you're going to be denying me. And he, he swore that he would not do that. So he's comparing Peter to Jonah on the run. And then from what city was Jonah sailing? Joppa. Joppa's on the coast. And he was going to sail from Joppa to the far end of the Mediterranean, Tarshish. Joppa is the very same city where Peter was when he had his vision. If you think back to, you know, basically they were giving the good news of salvation to Jews. They don't do it to Gentiles. But it was at this where he saw a vision where a sheet was opened up and all these animals came down before Peter. Clean and unclean animals. Now, Jews did not eat unclean animals. Uh, they only ate kosher stuff. So God brings down a sheet of all these animals, and he, and he says to him, same words, rise, kill, and eat. Now, for the Jew, you're thinking, no. So he says, not so, Lord. Now, that's kind of funny when you think about it. You're saying to God, not so. 
That's not right. Let me tell you something, that's not right. Well, this whole concept of a Jew sharing the good news with Gentiles, we find here with, with Peter when a centurion comes, uh, he comes down to, up, up from uh, the coast in Caesarea, and he is praying about the same thing. So we see how God opens the door to the Gentiles. Same way with Jonah. Where is God sending Jonah? He's sending them to Nineveh in a Syrian city. It is a wicked, vile, non-Jewish city. Say, would God want to show mercy? And it's always been God's plan to, yes, bless Israel, but bless all the nations of the earth. So we're seeing this in, in context with both. And then, of course, at the end of John tw in 21, you see how Jesus restores Peter. We're not going to see that with Jonah yet. We don't really know the, the end of that story. But Jesus restores Peter, and then he sends him out. So the original command, same as the first, arise, go to Nineveh, and he says, and call out against it the message I will tell you. So when we, we say call out, I want you to call out or cry out or preach out the message. And this, this is what we would term preaching. Now I know that word kind of scares people and uh, we use it sometimes, don't be preaching at me or he's just preaching it. But preaching is different than teaching. Teaching is a part of preaching. But preaching is different because preaching is calling people to action. Here it's calling people to repentance, calling people to faith, calling people to obedience. So what we do on Sunday morning is we do have a time here of preaching. And it's not just an instructional class. It is calling people to respond to the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord, every time you pick it up and read it in the morning, he is calling you to action. And, and if all you're doing is getting informed, like, well, I learned this today, or I learned this interesting fact today, or I learned something about this city, or oh, that was a nice and helpful thing, you're missing the fact that God's word is being brought to you for you to respond to, to act upon it, and to follow him. So... In 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 3, this is, this is what Paul says to Timothy about preaching. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of, of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, he says, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Is that what we have today or not? I mean, you look around today, and, and preaching is, where is the reproof, the rebuke? But he also says exhort. Now, it's an uncomfortable thing to confront, but part of the full counsel of God is confronting us with our sin and encouraging us in our faithfulness. And this is what um, Paul tells to Timothy. He said, 
You know, when you do it in season, out of season, it's convenient, it's not convenient. When you're preaching on social issues, it's not popular. And preaching that preaches to popular, what I call popular culture or popular Christianity is not, is not good. It's not helpful. So, repeating the word, and secondly, we, re, we move on to returning, the returning of the prophet, prophet Jonah. So, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh, it says, was an exceeding great city, three days' journey in breadth. In other words, it took three days to walk across the city. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. It's interesting that it, it says only a day. It doesn't say he went three days. It took three days to get across it. He only went a day. We're going to get to this in chapter 4 because there's some issues with Jonah. And he said it. He called out, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's what he's saying. 40 days, and that's, that's kind of a common number for judgment in the Bible. 40 days. So in 40 days, this city will be, and, and the word is overthrown. Overthrown. So Nineveh, why is it such a great city? Well, it's great in size. It's great in its wickedness. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. But particularly for the Jews, it would be like, it would be like the Holocaust. And I know that, I, I say that very carefully because when you think of what the Jews endured under Hitler, under the Assyrian Empire, you would see people slaughtered, imprisoned. They, they would be skewered on poles. They would be filleted alive. They'd be tortured. And so there, there was a similar feeling of just resentment and anger and hard ever to forgive a people like this. These were violent, violent people. Wicked people. In fact, all through history we read about how horrible it was. So for Jonah, who was a Jew, this going in to this city was a repulsive thing for him. So repeating the word, returning of the prophet, and now the repenting of the people. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Shock. <laughs> they believe God. He's only gone a third of the way through the city. Word has got around. And it says they, they demonstrate this by putting on sackcloth and ashes from the greatest to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. He rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes and issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Let them not drink water. Now you think, it's pretty amazing, even the animals. You say, well, what's that? The animals repenting. But I think what it shows is all of creation, everything created by God is subject to God. Everything in the world has been affected by sin. As all of creation will worship God. Psalm 119 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So then every knee should bow of things in heaven and on earth. And so you're finding there, there is a, not just individual repentance, national and wholesale repentance. 
sackcloth, ashes, no eating, no drinking. There is sorrow among these people. And here's what the king says. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent or change his mind from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Have you ever heard this about God is immutable? God is immutable. In other words, God is unchangeable. And I believe that. God is unchangeable in his character. But God is not always unchangeable in what he does. Every time God changes his mind, I think there are 19 different discussions on God changing his mind. It is always for our benefit. It is always his mercy. It's not, it's not like, aha, I caught you, boom. No, it, it, God will change his mind. And this is what the king says. Perhaps, maybe if we do repent, he will relent. And then, and then it says these words, so powerful. They believed God. They believe God. In other words, if someone asks you, how do you become a Christian? How do you know you're going to heaven? How do you come into the faith? You believe. You believe. These wicked Assyrians, vile, pagan, murderous people, believed. So what did that look like? Well, the same is in the book of Acts when Peter's preaching. He says, repent and be converted. It is a, repentance is what we say, a change of mind. It is a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. So the word repent means literally to change your mind. But it will always result in a change of behavior. Because if you're thinking differently, you will be behaving differently. So what Jonah was, you remember when Jonah was in the belly of the fish and he had that great prayer of praise and thanksgiving to God and glorifying God. I mean, beautiful prayer. What was missing? What was missing? Do you remember in Jonah's prayer? Repentance. I'm sorry. God, I'm wrong. Remember I asked you, you know anybody who's never been wrong? I, and that, in fact, when I asked that question last time, everybody goes like this. <laughs> you know someone who thinks they're always right? Never been wrong? Well, Jonah did not repent of his fleeing. And now something's happening in Nineveh. We'll see this develop more in chapter 4. What Jonah was missing in the belly of the great fish was repentance. So what is real sorrow? What, what is real repentance? Um, 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says this. He says, now I am glad that when I sent my letter to you, and not, I'm, I'm glad for it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain of his letter caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. 
I think that we experience in our lives a lot of worldly sorrow because we're sorry for what happened. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry I'm going through this. I'm sorry this is so bad. We're not sor sorrowful toward God. We're sorry about our circumstance and condition. But godly sorrow means I know that I've sinned against God and it brings great sorrow. This is healthy when it causes me to change my mind and change my behavior to follow him. Because only in following him, Psalm 1611 says, you know, the, the path is filled with